Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses read. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Uh, if this is your first time listening, welcome. We, we love to have you aboard. And if you've heard the show before, you know the show is in a couple of parts. The first part of the show, we take some questions about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate. And believe me, right now, it's very important to avoid probate because the delays in the court system are terrible. It's just the nature of the system, COVID, but that's what's happening. You want to plan things that you don't have to go to court, you don't have to go to probate. And I know everybody asks me, well, what is probate? If when you pass away, there are assets in your name alone, then those assets, in order to be transferred, have to go through court. If you have a will, it ordinarily goes through probate. If you don't have a will, it goes to court administration, which is another room in the same building. And either way, it's it's taken a long time right now because, again, it's the nature of the beast. COVID really has things slowed down. People don't come in and work in person. Files don't get moved on. Files are, you know, in between. Maybe the person, the person who's working on the file is not in the courthouse where the file is. And, you know, court dates are not moving in the same respect. So... You don't want to have to go through court. You don't want your family to have to go to court after you're gone. You want to avoid probate. And if you have bad names, if you have a, a real estate, the best way to avoid probate usually is through a trust agreement. And you can ask us about a trust agreement. You know, that's half of what we do is trust agreements to avoid probate for people, especially those people who own real estate. Now, also part of our job is to try to save assets from nursing home bills. And a trust also helps doing that. So, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like somebody like who sells insurance and the uh, the answer to all your problems is to buy more insurance, although I personally believe in insurance, you know, quite a bit. But as you know, each week we have one of the other attorneys in our office help us with a, a couple of questions. My wife, Beth, is not here today, um, but I'm still backed up by my son, Michael. Yes, sir. And by one of our attorneys, Lloyd. Hello, everyone. Okay. Now, Lloyd, tell us something about yourself. Where did you go to law school? And Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, if anybody remembers me, actually, I was on the show a couple months ago. But uh, anyway, um, 
So I went to uh, law school actually in China, Southwest University of uh, Political Science and Law. That's where I got my Bachelor of Law degree. Then I came to the U.S. for my Master of Laws degree in 2015 in uh, Cleveland. So the university I went to was uh, Case Western Reserve University School of Law. Then I went on to get my JD degree in 2016. So that was another three years for me. Then after the JD, then I came here in New York and joined Connors and Sullivan. Let me ask you something. How do you, what part of China are you from? So I'm from the uh, southwest part of China. So that's where the weather is humid and it's hot in the summer. Like it goes well above 100 degrees in the summer. How do you get from China to Cleveland? That's a very... Don't tell me by plane. <laughs> That's a very good question. I, I got this question a lot. People are asking me, why are you going to Cleveland? Why don't you come to New York? Then I told them, that was a, that was a long story. So um, actually, there was an exchange program between my uh, undergraduate law school back in China and the uh, Case Western Reserve School of Law. So I went to Case Western Reserve during my uh, fourth year of my undergraduate. Then I got my Master of Laws during that fourth year. So that way I was able to save it one year to get my master degree. And I was also able to finish my Bachelor of Law degree um, in the U.S. So that's one of the major reasons why I went to uh, Case Western. I mean, after I came here, I only learned that Cleveland is like out of nowhere. <laughs> ah, no, Cleveland's not out of nowhere. It's uh... <laughs> All right. So you, you were going through some of our email questions. What question did you... Uh fall upon and choose yes so actually we did get a question for, from our listeners so the question is my mom and dad both have passed in 2007 they recorded a life estate deed on their house listing their children as beneficiaries the life estate was done through a lawyer as part of the medicaid planning my dad was the last person to die in 2018 now the state wants to recover the benefits from the house. Can the state recover Medicaid on a 2007 life estate? That's the question here. No, um, I'm a little surprised the question's even there. Now, at the same time, and, and here's where sometimes, let's say for the sake of argument, dad had a will, he was the last to die, right? Yes. If dad has a will and he had some assets in his name alone, and they filed the will for probate, then Medicaid would pick up that, file a lien against the estate, and say that we're looking at the assets of the estate. Now, if you have a life estate on the deed, and this is a little complicated and take it on faith, if you have a deed with a life estate with the, the parents owning the property and the children as beneficiaries, that property is technically part of the taxable estate and is part of the estate in, in one respect. It's part of your taxable estate. Is it part of your probate estate? No. And right now, Medicaid, and things could change in the future, but it shouldn't change for something that's already been done in the past, especially somebody who's passed away in the past. So it's part of your taxable estate. It's not part of your probate estate. And right now, New York state law really only has a right to, to, to put a lien on assets to pass through your probate estate, assuming there was no fraud or anything else. They only have a right to put assets on your probate estate, those assets which go through court. The assets that go through court are assets that are in your name alone. That's what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show. We don't want assets to pass through your name alone. We want assets to go through other directions, whether it's a trust. Um, the life estate 
works in a lot of respects. There are some things I don't like about the life estates. I prefer a trust because with a life estate, if one of the children passed away, uh, all of a sudden you're in partnership with maybe a daughter-in-law, son-in-law, and I know a lot of you out there would not be that crazy to be in partnership with your son-in-law or daughter-in-law. And half my life is probably spent talking about daughters-in-law. Um, so, you know, no, you don't want to be in partnership. And anything can happen. You know, you got a uh, 40-year-old son in perfect health, and something could happen. And he passes away, and all of a sudden he has no will, and he leaves everything to his wife, and his wife owns part of your property with a life estate. Also, if you decide to sell the, the house the property while you're alive, if it's in a trust, you're fully the owner for tax purposes. So if you need the $250,000 exclusion, in other words, when you sell, I think most of you know, when you sell your personal residence, the first $250,000 of the sale is tax-free, and that's $250,000 for husband, $250,000 for wife. And if you put your house in a life estate, the children don't live in the house, you've lost that exemption in part. Because, again, your children own part of the house, not you, and your children may have to pay capital gains tax on the, on the sale of the house. So uh, I, I prefer, I prefer a, a trust. Not only that, and I mean this happens every once in a while, but somebody puts their house, they deed the house to their kids through a life estate, and they change their mind. You know, one of the kids has some problems. You don't want to name the kid as beneficiary. Maybe you want to leave the grandchildren, the same the, that child's children as beneficiaries. If you're in a life estate, you're caught, you're locked in, you can't change it. With a trust, you can change the beneficiaries. And and, and I see people come into our office and say, well, I don't want to do an irrevocable trust because you can't change it. I just want to do a life estate. Well, life estate, you really can't change it. In the irrevocable trust, you can change the beneficiaries of the trust among your family members. Like if you have three kids and you get in a fight with one, you can leave it to the other two. One of your kids gets in trouble financially. They have judgments against them. You don't want your part of your house to pay for that child's judgment. Maybe you skip that child and go to his children and, and leave the assets that way. You're not tied in with the trust. Even an irrevocable trust in New York can be changed. We can leave it to the grandchildren. We can leave it to the other children. We can do something. We can change it and trust for a child who's got financial problems where they can't, creditors can't touch what he has. And, of course, one of the things, too, with life estate I don't like about it, one of the kids has a tax lien, a judgment against him. You can't sell your house if that kid has a tax lien, judgment against him. That kid has a lawsuit, a judgment against him. You can't sell your house with a judgment against that. So, you know, a lot of bad things happen. And, and, and I mean, listen, 90% of the time with a life estate, nothing bad happens. The kids outlive you. They sell the house. It goes out tax-free as of now. That could change. You know, a lot of scary things going on in Washington right now. They're talking about putting a million-dollar cap on that tax rate, which would be devastating to people who own houses in New York because if what pa if what's talked about gets passed, you inherit a house, the first million dollars would be tax-free, and then you got to start paying taxes on it. So if you got a $2 million house in New York, you may not have a choice of, of keeping it because you may have to pay taxes. You might have to pay $400,000 in taxes. And... You know, I don't know if you may want to write your congressman, your senators. I don't know if it would do any good, but that tax would be devastating to New York because almost anybody who owns a house would start paying tax, which right now in New York, it's $6 million tax-free. and the federal government, it's, you know, almost $12 million tax-free. And that could be a dramatic change, you know, that's being talked about in Washington right now to 
to, to where middle class people who inherit houses may have to pay taxes that didn't have to pay taxes six months ago. So be wary. Read the newspapers. Write. Even if the if the law gets changed, write. Complain about it. Maybe if enough people complain, something might happen. But you know, it's a dangerous time right now for people who own assets. You know, it's it's very bad out there. And you know, keep in touch. If there's a dramatic change in the law, we'll put out our newsletter on, newsletter on it. You can come to our seminars. We're just talking. We might start doing our seminars back up in July, and then we'll go over the latest tax laws and try to go things from there. And, for, uh, and our seminars, if you attend our seminars, if you see them on Zoom, we'll be able to schedule an appointment. You can schedule an appointment with me at one of our offices in Bayside, Queens, Middle Village, Queens, Midtown Manhattan, Staten Island, Island Boulevard, or our main office where we're broadcasting from right now, Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens Will my to assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors & Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors & Sullivan. Plan now for later. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. 
We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome to Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Uh, Coming back with us right now is one of our recurring guests, the famous, the beloved Father Paul. Welcome to the show, Father. Good evening, my friends. Thank you so much for having me, and happy Easter to everyone. Happy Easter. All right, now let me, you know, some of the people out there, they, they've heard all your interviews on this show, but there's some other people who may be listening for the first time or they haven't heard you before on the show. Can you just give us a little bit of your background? Now, you're a Capuchin friar. What exactly is that? Yes, so I am Capuchin friar uh, for quite some time. Uh, I would say 23 years from now. And uh, Capuchin Friar is actually a very interesting um, mission. It's, it's all about being a rebel without the structure that needs to be maybe um, redone or reorganized, which is the, the structure of the church. And St. Francis from Assisi, who is my boss, he's the one who started that Franciscan movement that I'm a part of now. So being a Capuchin friar is basically following St. Francis from Assisi footsteps, his passion, his way of being a rebel, asking right questions, and never be afraid of, of uh, authorities just because uh, we shouldn't be afraid of them. So that's who Capuchin friars are. I'm also a physician, so it's a kind of interesting combination that I had a chance to actually combine two things, giving a spiritual help, but also medical uh, support for uh, for quite uh, some time, it's 20 years, to be honest with you. So um, being a Capuchin friar and physician at the same time, it, it's a great combination that I can use uh, to meet up with people and let them know that, you know, if, if medically we are limited, there's always a, a divine intervention that I can go for. And, and most of the time I was very successful with it. All my patients are alive, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Well, let me ask you something. Now, where is your mission located right now? Lebanon, Beirut. We started also 20 years ago. We started at the same time in Jordan and Syria but because of these events. So our, uh, I would say, headquarters is in Lebanon, Beirut. So we created our medical clinic and center for Christians. Because when I moved to Lebanon for the first time, I just realized that Christians didn't really have a, a medical support the way they should have. If they had to go to a different hospitals or places, they they were charged even more just because they were Christians. So I just I just had that my idea in mind. I was like, I'm gonna do something about it, and uh, we decided to create a medical clinic in Beirut, in Lebanon, for them, for Christians. We also had another one just near the Syrian border. And one in Jordan, so that was for us a very great opportunity to reach out to our Christian community and let them know, hey, we are here and we are happy to help. You don't have to pay for anything. It's all um, uh, free of charge. And that's how it started 20 years ago. Now, let me ask you something. You know, there are a lot of people out there, and you said this yourself, 
But a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, you know, are, aren't all all of the Arabs in the Middle East, aren't most of the people in the Middle East, well, most are, aren't, aren't they, you know, Muslim? I mean, are there any Christians in the Middle East? Well, that's a very good question, Mr. Connors, and I'm very grateful for that question, because actually, can you imagine six million Christians in the Middle East? Six million Christians. And every single one is going through uh, a hardship, a hard time, not, not just because of, of the war or, or, or recent explosion, but also because from century to century they, they've been persecuted. Um, so six million people uh, are, are brothers and sisters, Christians. So uh, you can imagine that these Christian communities were there since Jesus Christ's um, time. And uh, I think, yeah, our mission is to keep, um, maybe it's not possible to keep six million Christians um, you know, uh, to support all of them. But if we can support, you know, every single person per day or per per minute, that's that's a huge success. So six million Christians in the Middle East. It's not about a, a Muslim community. A Christian community is humongous, six million people. Well, let me ask you something. Let's go back. And, and what happened in, in August last year in, in Beirut? So August 4th was a, a beautiful day until the moment we've got that explosion. And the uh, Interestingly, the very first sound, uh, we thought it, it, it sounded like a, a small a car bomb, which we got used to it because, you know, um, some people in Lebanon, in Lebanon they, they really try to traumatize us or, or, or uh, irritate us with those small car bombs uh, to, to create another fearful nation. So at, at some point, the very first second, we thought, oh, that must be another one. Until the moment, you know, apparently it was a very big explosion that um, only after when I woke up, I just realized um, when people told me and when I saw it and when I just realized what happened. And that was a very traumatizing moment for myself because I just realized um, that this explosion uh, wiped out the entire Christian zone and also 20 years of our walk uh, with that medical help that we provided for Christian community for 20 years. So... August 4th was, was, was kind of uh, a moment when we realized that something was planned, something was uh, organized to, to give a, a, another, um, a, you know, another uh, set of, 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 of sorrows and, 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 and cr a cry to, to a Krishna community. So that's what happened. And, uh, and this is what we try to figure it now, because we already know it happened because someone decided that that has to happen to, to us. Because, as you know, the, the explosion was only on the Christian side of the Beirut uh, seaport, so that's what happened. Now, why, let me ask you something. It, when we listen to news reports, nobody ever said that it was on the Christian part of town. And, and I think we can, now, we can now say why, because for mainstream media, mainstream media it, it's, it's just an easy way to say, yeah, that was an explosion, um, nothing to debate. It just happened because, you know, some explosive materials were there for, for six years um, on that boat. And, and just maybe, you know, by, by mistake or something, it was on the Christian zone. But that's something that no one was really analyzing uh, until the moment when you see the zone and when you see the area and you just know that after all these years being threatened, that after all these years where Christians were, were persecuted through the local uh, law level and higher level, um, 
what happened again it was something that was planned and it, it, look i give you an example when when norwegian and polish community uh, tried to send us the equipment for firefighters to find people who are still under those you know um ruined uh, homes um hezbollah said we don't need any help everything is fine so because everything happened to a christian community so that's why they decided that we we don't need help that gives you another sense of you know how how much christian community is and will be persecuted uh by by other communities and that that's something that uh, media they are not really willing to discuss but i give you another example when when uh, um what happened in in lebanon and in in, in egypt with copt community do you remember these 100 people assassinated by ISIS on the beach. They were just beheaded. No one said that there were hundreds of people, there were hundreds of Coptic Christians. CNN only said, oh, just, you know, 100 people were, were assassinated by ISIS, but actually all of them are Christians. So that changes the trajectory, the trajectory of, the, of the news when you say hundreds of people and when you say hundreds of Christians were actually persecuted. So... I'm not surprised that it is what it is now, but that's why, since we have six million Christians, since we have so many Christians around the world, I think it's a good moment to wake up and just talk about it and, and realize that we have brothers and sisters over there who are suffering. And if there's anything we can help or do something, I mean, why not? It's, it's a good time to wake up. It's a good wake-up call for, for all Christian community around the world. Now, do you get any help from the Vatican? <laughs> Well, let me let me put that way. Every time I asked, they told me the budget is not fixed, or the budget is not uh, decided as of yet. So it was usually it's too early or too late. So I never really I could never really fit into into the correct de- date because no one provided a date. So the, the the thing is that I was doing retreat, I was collecting the equipment by myself or with the help of of my friends like like you, uh, Connors and Sullivan and Beth and 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 Michael, uh, spreading good words um, uh, here and there. So um, you know we had to do this you know with our own hands. No one was really willing to help us. Some institutions were willing to help us, so we provided what was necessary. But sadly, the the, the, the Christian community itself, especially Vatican, they they usually were very um, they're very distanced. And, and, and maybe reluctant to provide that help directly to us. Maybe because we're in Lebanon. I don't know, but it never happened. Do you have any opinion, and I think you talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but what about the Pope's visit to Iran? Is that going to help well, you? When Pope visited, well, the, the Pope's visit in Iraq was first too late because a lot of Iraqi Christians, they were already in a refugee camp in Lebanon, in Jordan, so majority of Christians were actually uh, forcibly removed um, by Iraqi uh, coalition, and 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 uh, you know the, the Pope's visit was actually too late. And uh, and I understand that maybe his advisors they didn't really uh, look at the calendar, they didn't really realize that what happened in Syria, what happened in Iraq, uh, 1.5 Christian refugees were actually outside. Of Iraq, so um, I think that the best way to put, to to explain that is to say that would be great to see Pope Francis in the refugee camp, where persecuted Christians from Iraq or Syria are present. 
going to Iraq and just meet up with, with local leaders, that's not going to change anything for the Christian community. So it was way too late. And I don't think that that was the best idea. I think the better idea was to go to a refugee camp and, and meet Christians and hear them, hear them well. What's the reason they are there? So, but it happened in Iraq, and, and uh, Iraqi Christians are not in Iraq anymore. You know, and I think it's worth saying again, the impact of the Arab Spring. What what was the impact of the Arab Spring on Christians in the Middle East? Well, I always say that Arab Spring is actually winter for Christians. Arab, Arab Spring actually opened the door to all a lot of evil people who are willing to eliminate Christianity and Christians. And that's what they did. All these uh, military movements, um, radical groups, they're not talking about dialogue or looking for a solution or to create a nation where different communities can be together. It's all about expansion, but um, expansion without, without uh, recognizing Christians, without recognizing a Christian history and communities. So Arab Spring actually assassinated a Christian presence in the Middle East and North Africa as well. And that's, that's something that I'm, I'm going to always say, this is what happened. It, it's... It's not a political statement. It's a realistic statement because I've been watching this for years. And where did we go with this? You, you see, where did we go? We have more Christian refugees now than before. And also because of the Arab Spring. So that's my opinion. Now, you told us a story. And if you repeat it for, for the audience, okay, your mission is blown up. What is the response uh, of the Lebanese government? Well, <laughs> When I was conscious enough and when I was capable of a of little bit of an analytical mind, there was a gentleman stopping by, giving us a fine, which is the amount of 20 euro, because the, the street was not, uh, we didn't clean up the street after the explosion. So I, I was like, so the government is actually giving us a fine for, for something that they should be doing. They should be helping people to clean up these streets. They should be uh, the one to provide the equipment and, and uh, you know, uh, manpower to, to reorganize these, these places. What they did instead, they gave us a fine and they told us it's our job to clean up. But that shows you again, because they perfectly knew who we are. They knew that this is a Christian area. So for them, it's just way easier to, to give us a fine to pay then just do the job as a government, because the government should be for everyone. But in Lebanon, it's not for everyone. So that's what happened to us. And the irony of this is that he looked around and he knew we have absolutely nothing to change it. We don't have an equipment, we don't have money, and we don't have any, any labor force to, to, to do anything. But, you know, still, he gave us a fine to pay, which is, again, the amount of 20 euro for the Lebanese government. So that was kind of a shocking. And also another aha moment, like to realize, okay, the persecution is still on and it will be on. So that's why we need, we need that, you know, Western Christian uh, uh, community support to, to, to pray for us, but also to let us know, you know, you're not alone. We will make it. We'll go through this together. Let me ask you something. When you say persecution, how does a Christian I exist in Lebanon? How do they get a job? How do they have some kind of career? How do they have some kind of future for their children? So that's a very, very good question and, and very upsetting at the same time, because 
I don't know how much uh, do you know about Saint Charbel, a, a great Lebanese saint, a, a monk, who um, in 19th century and 20th century was was um, present in Lebanon and the day of his ordination, around 3,000 Christians were persecuted. So he knew exactly in what kind of um, reality he his mission will be. So Christianity in Lebanon starts with, in, in the 12th century with the, with the Maronite um, Christians. Uh, they're coming from Saint Maroon, a Syrian saint, and Maronite community in Lebanon is recognized by Rome. And uh, so, so Christianity, I, I'm talking about 12th century Maronites, but Christianity was there when uh, apostles decided to go to Saida and Tyr, and these two cities are in Lebanon, to, to, to preach, to, uh, to share the gospel. St. Paul actually was using Saida to, to, to go to Rome, from Saida seaport to Rome. So these places in Lebanon, are, 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 it's, it's a holy land as well. So Christianity, um, this is all with the apostles that started in, in Lebanon, in this area of, of, of the Middle East. 12th century, it's more about the, the strict Maronite community. We also have Chaldeans, we have Orthodox. So it's a beautiful combination of Christians being together. We have Armenians in Lebanon who escaped a genocide in Turkey. So um, it, it's a beautiful combination of, of Christian communities, but persecuted by the same, by the same people for, for centuries. So uh, this is, if I, if I may say, this is the, the very historical uh, approach of, of the Christians in Lebanon. Let me ask you something, because I don't understand. How do you keep going on? What what drives you well, to keep going? Mm, well, Mr. Connors, uh, look at yourself. When you go to your office every morning, and we've discussed this many times, it's a scary place to be sometimes. <laughs> and and you may think how I'm going to make it, how it's going to be. You never know. But when you have faith, uh, what I do is a piece of cake. Have, Oh well, you may you may say that, but I think I I've seen it, and I I I think you have a lot of hard moments as well. But what we both of us we have, we have a little bit of faith, and faith without hope is dead. So these two components of our spiritual life, faith and hope, that that keeps us alive, and that what keep uh, keeps us uh, you know uh, doing what we're doing. Uh, am I sometimes angry and and uh, frustrated? Yes, I am. But you are also sometimes angry or frustrated because things are, um, you know, going through a different direction, not the right one. Are we sometimes tired? Yes. Are we sometimes confused and lost? Yes. But that's why Jesus Christ, every time there is a Eucharist or there's a moment of, of silence, he's telling us who I am. And after the resurrection, he said to all of us, peace be with you. So I think that, that, you know, and I also truly believe that love keeps us alive. And, and the amount of prayer, the amount of help we've received from a spiritual perspective from so many people for so, so long, for so many years, that's what keeps me, uh, keeps me going on. And I truly believe that faith and hope, the same way you, you experience it, it's, it's something that helps us to, to never give up. And if, if there's a moment we, we try to give up, you know, he's coming and he's, he's, saying, he's telling us, I'm here, so just let me be busy. So I, I really, when I talk to him, I, I tell him, you're going to be very busy. So, so far, so good, Mr. Connors. Faith and hope. 
Okay, now I don't know if you know, but our friends at the station, um, Joe Piscopo, Kevin McCullough, they're going to be playing some ads trying to support your mission. And, you know, th- those are two of the nicest guys. I know you've met both of them, Joe, a little bit more. Um, Correct. But, you know, the whole station here supports you, supports your mission. And we're going to try to put together some kind of fundraiser in the fall and try to get your mission back on track. And, and there'll be more news about it. In the meanwhile, we just started a not-for-profit for you so we can give you charitable deductions for some people who are, you know, going to contribute to your mission. And we'll have a, a commercial in a, in a couple of minutes talking about where you contribute. And, you know, next thing we've got to do, we've got to get a website up there. Absolutely. And, I'm, again, I'm very grateful for all your help or logistics that you are providing, especially to to our Mike, your son, who's who's uh, logistically organizing everything beautifully well. So I, I really appreciate that, and, and also Beth's uh, you know patience for all of us because you know uh, it's it's not easy to be surrounded by Catholics, and I think all of us we are very demanding. But Beth is always keeping her her um, love and compassion for us. So yes, absolutely, we will do the website. If anyone would like to help us, it's it's. Uh, it's gonna be for the um, the nonprofit organization that we called San Francis in Beirut. Uh, so yeah, that's a great process to 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 move things forward. And I think to to let people know also in Lebanon that you know there is hope and they are not forgotten. Well, you know, like uh, my wife Beth may be patient, but she was kind of mad at you because you didn't really tell us how badly you were injured in that explosion. Oh, yes, I know. But also I know that she gave me her forgiveness huh. and it's she's she was splitting that forgiveness in four different days. But um, yes, you, you know, what can I tell you, Mr. Carlos? I'm, I'm really not really the, the person that is super willing to to talk about certain emotions, because just to be honest with you and with our, um, you know, whoever's listening to us, um, I, I'm still angry and I'm still frustrated and I still believe that something went really, really wrong and I try to understand what's the meaning of the whole situation. So I wasn't really capable of sharing more details because myself, I wasn't really uh, okay with myself. And and sometimes I have to tell you, it's it's good, you know, it's okay not to be okay. But it, it takes, for me, it takes some time to... to to reanalyze certain things, and I really I didn't want to, wanted to bother anyone with with what happened because I was the one kind of angry and upset, and I don't really like to share that anger or sadness with others. But reality is this is what it is. But I, I also know that Beth, she 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 was offering that forgiveness, um, and I really really appreciate that. All right, we'll see. Now, can you give us? You know, we're still in the Easter season. In fact, our Orthodox friends are going to be celebrating Easter very shortly. Can you give us a prayer for for the Easter season? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, my friends, wherever you are, whoever is listening to us, the um, the Christ is risen, and we are risen as well from any nonsense that we have to deal on a daily basis, from anger, from sadness, from depression, from being confused. We are all risen thanks to him, Jesus Christ. And I, I truly wish you to, to really celebrate that Easter time, which is an humongous gift to all of us, being alive again, having a life back, 
and everything because we believe in love and we believe in hope and this is the resurrection so wherever you are i wish you really a happy easter to every single christian community and whoever is struggling especially these days with COVID, with political situation um I'm, i just want to tell you we will be okay because there is always a meaning of of life and maybe we don't see it not yet but we will we will understand it one day so please wherever you are don't give up don't be harsh on yourself and look at yourself with love because he's risen again and you're alive again and i'm alive again and this is the beauty of easter time for all of us amen thank you father Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Connors. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Mike. And happy Easter to all of you, my friends. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Mike Connors, host of Ask the Lawyer and published in New York Magazine's top-rated lawyers. Whether assisting a client with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, nursing home plan, or other matter, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of their clients' rights and interests. Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, has dedicated attorneys that can help you with estate planning, elder law, and probate. They listen to their clients to learn about their families, their financial picture, and their long-term goals to create a comprehensive plan to meet your objectives. They assist with the complex tax matters that are often involved in estate planning and probate. Contact Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, with offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Midtown Manhattan, and Staten Island to schedule a free consultation with an attorney. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. And listen to Ask the Lawyer right here every Saturday evening at 6. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. You know, Father Paul's charity is, is one of us that's the dearest to our hearts. And, of course, another charity that's, that's pretty close to us is the John Wayne Cancer Institute. Now, I remember, I think it was about, maybe it was almost two years ago now, but we had the pleasure of of being at the John Wayne Cancer Institute table, and Father Paul was with us too, and he painted a picture, a portrait of John Wayne from one of his later detective films and gave it to Patrick Wayne, and I think Patrick was a little touched by that. 
So, Beth, you have some news about the John Wayne Cancer Institute. Well, I do. Um, back the first week in January, um, I got a message from um, Anita uh, LaCava Swift, and that's John Wayne, one of John Wayne's um, granddaughters. And it was just the the family was a little bit in shock because the John Wayne Cancer Institute has been housed at St. John's um, Hospital out in Santa Monica since the beginning. That's the that's where they started. And for, you know, there's a new set of doctors and trustees in the hospital now. And I guess just for political reasons, they decided they didn't want to have the John Wayne Cancer Institute any there, anymore there. And the family didn't know anything about it. And January 1st of 2021, the family was just told that, well, we're sorry, but we're taking the name off the hospital. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And Anita was so upset. And then, of course, I'm getting upset thinking, well, that's just mean. And uh, so anyway, I, um, I, I told Anita, this is all by messages. So I said, I'm so sorry. But then I thought, oh, I know what I'm going to do. And I got in touch with my brother, Dr. Ted Mitchell, who um, had been president of the Texas Tech Medical Services, but now he's chancellor of Texas Tech. And I said, do you think Texas Tech would be interested in um, getting involved with the John Wayne Cancer Institute? And he said, oh, yes. So then I got back in touch with Anita and I broached the subject with her and she said, well, you know, we need to get in touch with Ethan. Ethan Wayne, of course, is the youngest son in, of John Wayne. And he is, um, he heads up the John Wayne Foundation. And um, so anyway, she got in touch with them and then she got back in touch with me and um i gave them my brother's phone number um after i spoke briefly with them and then so anyway they connected and they've it's been going back and forth but the good news is they are trying to establish some john wayne cancer institute fellowships at Texas Tech University. So sometimes bad things, stupid things happen. And I know in today's world, we think, oh my goodness, you know, there's so many awful things. Don't give up. If something bad happens, try to do something to fix it. So um, now we're just closer with the John Wayne family and um and my brother is so excited and I will be very happy once it all comes to fruition. And it's the same thing with Father Paul's hospital. Yes, it's been awful, but we just have to rebuild it. We don't give up. Don't ever give up and just keep going and pray. And listen, I'd like to personally thank all our clients and listeners who've contributed to Father Paul, you know, over the years, and he doesn't need a lot of money. He gets by on very little money because the biggest cost of running his medical mission is his salary, and he gets paid next to nothing So, <laughs> because he has a vow of poverty. 
So again, thank you for everybody who's helping, you know, Father Paul's mission. And, you know, let's part of the job we do as estate planning attorneys is to try to get, you know, assets, you know, transfer assets, usually from one generation to the other. But part of the job is sometimes to transfer assets to charities or whatever. And if you want to see us about really any charity, one of the charities that we're fond of here or, or another charity that you're fond of, of course, St. Jude's is, is one charity that, you know, a lot of our clients are very fond of and, and name in a lot of the wills. But, you know, let's say you don't have children and your children don't need any of your help. You don't have family. You want to leave assets to charity. You can schedule an appointment with us at Connors and Sullivan, and we'll let you do that. And there are different ways to do it. You can do it through a, a trust. You can do it through a will. Right now, a will, you know, takes forever to get through probate, but at the same time, charities are usually in it for the long run, so they can wait, and that's the easiest way for you to do it. And sometimes you can list them as beneficiaries on annuities or insurance policies or things like that. I, I'm not always crazy about that because we got to hope that somebody lets the charity know that you've passed on and they're a beneficiary of the, you know, of the account. You know, I've, I've seen occasionally where, let's say somebody leaves a charity as beneficiary on an annuity policy and nobody ever t- calls the company that issued the annuity policy that the person's dead and eventually goes to abandoned property. And it takes a long time to, to, to get it to charity. So, um, I'm not, it's, it's not my fondest way of handling things, but if you have a good family member or a good person as executor, who's going to wrap up these loose ends, well, okay, maybe that's the way to do it. It's easy. It's not always foolproof. And then I would say, I'd have to say 90% of the time, the charity's going to get the, the money in a, a timely manner. But if you want to talk over the options, if you say, Hey, you know, I want to leave my estate to charity. How can I do it? I want to leave part of my estate to charity. How can I do it? You can give us a call at Connors and Sullivan at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. And I can tell you right now, if you want to leave a substantial amount of your assets to charity, you know, please ask for me to to go on the appointment and we'll try we'll try to help you because nothing I like better is, is setting up an estate plan where we're helping other people, you know, after you're gone. Uh, Michael, email questions. We should mention that again. Absolutely. So if you want to get in touch with the show, um, we will either read your question on air if you would like, or you can, of course, always mark something as private. But if you want to get in touch with us, email askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors, Connors spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S, at gmail.com. Also remember that despite the fact that we're not holding in-person, well, we haven't been holding in-person seminars lately, if you want to see our virtual seminar that was conducted last year, go to youtube.com and search Connors and Sullivan Video Seminar. You should see Dad right there, and hopefully it answers some of your questions and maybe encourages you to start working on your own estate plan. Okay, well, it's time to wrap up the show. See you next week at the same time and stations. Thank you so much. For Bye-bye, everybody. It's bad.
to sing this song away. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song away. We are gathered. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song away. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for. Because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, they are cousins, sisters, they are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC.